0: What the Hex, your source for Warhammer Underworlds and under 30 tithe counters. I'm Phil, with me as always is Davey, and we have a special guest today, the uh, terror of some of the <laughs> online clashes, Tommy Conboy. How you doing, Tommy?
1: Hey, I'm good, guys. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Real solid. Not working this weekend like you are, so I get that. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta rub it in there. I know. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the reason that we've got Tommy on today, we're talking Canaan's Reapers, um, and we've seen some, some success from Tommy's decks. We wanted to pick his brain a little bit, see if he had some good ideas that we could share with you folks. Uh, to give you a little bit of context before we dig in, though, um, just so you know, when we're recording, the uh, Elthane Soul Raid have just gone on pre-order. Um, <clears throat> So those will be coming out about a week after we record this, which is probably about when this will drop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, and so we've got our standard topic here before the main topic with community shout outs. Uh, as a guest, Tommy, do you have any community content creators or anything that you would like people to know about?
2: Um, I think given... That it's coming to its conclusion, I've got to give a shout out to Frederick, who's just been running the the German Team Championship or WTC GTC. Oh yeah, to go. yeah, uh, yeah. That's been an awesome tournament, and I think it's something he runs every year. Um, it's not something I've managed to be a part of due to it usually being held in Germany, but with it being held online, it's been yeah. awesome. So yeah, shout out to him for running such a big event. Cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I got to do an online team event. I, we actually, um, we were on the other side of, uh, the, uh, the teams from each other in the semis, but you and I were both warming the bench at the time. So, <laughs> uh, in, in that sense, uh, you and I got to play each other at the, when they, uh, battle or, uh, Path the glory, uh, did theirs, but, um, so, uh, this looked like a real big, big event. Did you get to did you get to fully compete there? You had a, a team or were you in as a solo?
2: Uh, both. <laughs>
1: oh, all right. Why <laughs> not both? Actually,
2: yeah. Um, I got knocked out of the finished, I think it was in the round of 16. 30, I can't remember. Um, I got beat by Nebul and his Molog. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I've been a proud member of team steve
0: yeah <laughs> just,
2: <laughs> and uh it's really luckily we've actually just
0: we've just won the final so oh all yeah, right. congrats nice. awesome thank you we'll have to have to maybe see if they continue to do an online format maybe we'll have to come back with the team next year but uh <laughs> any anything that you'd like to shout out davy
1: uh, yeah, <clears throat> there's a battle for salvation. Warhammer Underworlds podcast has, uh, finally returned. They dropped, uh, I think episode 36 and 36 and a half. Uh, and they got, mm-hmm. uh, Matt, uh, on to talk, uh, go back and talk Cagras. Um, and that's especially interesting cause he's been working them for a while. He's got a, uh, road to the grand clash, um, uh, right. series that he's doing, and so it, it's kind of kind of neat to hear his thoughts about the evolution of that and all that sort of thing. And uh, he does have a, a cool channel for that too. So. Sweet. Yeah. So uh, I, I just wanted to give them they, – they're they're back in all their glory. Actually, again, I think I've said this before about one of their podcasts, but if the only thing you do is go and listen to the first four minutes, uh, Max Bernstein has a musical number for you right at the start. So <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. all your old favorites are, are back with uh, – you know, uh, Randall Randall chiming in, Max's music, Max never meeting a joke that he didn't feel like he needed to explain, all that Solid. all that good stuff's in there. So, <laughs> so wouldn't so want to go ahead and zoom way. back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well What about you, Phil? You got anything? For
0: yeah. Um so this week um Wrath Lab four dwarves and a bear on the Vassal Discord dropped a um, I guess an objective placement guide. I guess you would call it. Um, some just general strategy about board placement and token placement. Um, it's on a Reddit post, but uh, it's linked in the Vassal Discord. If you're in there, you can go check it out. Um, has some really interesting insight. Um, specifically from all of his time playing the chosen axes and some of the extremes that he's had to go to, to figure out ways to gain advantages while playing chosen axes. Um, but I think all of the things that he mentions <clears throat> for objective placement are thoroughly valuable, no matter what warband you're playing. Um, because if you're not playing objectives yourself, you might be playing into objectives. Um, and just, getting in that headspace, I think is valuable and thinking more critically about your board choice, board placement and objective placement. So I felt like that was a really cool article, um, went into some pretty good detail with lots of, uh, Vassal screenshots of like all the different
1: possible ways you could configure the board. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and like you say, it's, uh, I think it's one of those things It's the, the right content and the right format. You know, like the the visual format that he's able to put it in uh, really, really got a lot out of it. So uh, we'll link it in the show notes. It's a little tricky to find if you're not uh, used to rolling around on Reddit. So, yeah, but I know I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Got anything else or we, uh, Uh, we...
0: I guess I will just give a quick shout out just to uh, the Set the Tempo blog, Um, continuing to have a number of good articles, uh, things that are not sort of the standard fare, which I Find refreshing. Um, I think most recently was one about just.
1: It was like making was, making sure both you and your opponent were having. A, like Yeah, yeah.
0: I want to. I, I the thing that comes to mind is like saying like an etiquette thing, but it's not exactly that. But yeah, it's basically trying to make sure that both you and your opponent are having a good game. Um, and I just thought, I mean, it's like it's not the kind of thing that you normally see so uh, I thought it was it was a nice change of pace um, and I appreciate that so go check those out our hobby sort of corner here quick um, Tommy what have you been doing in the hobby lately what the heck is going on with you
2: in um, the hobby not much lately apart from just making sure I keep up with buying all the releases as quickly as they're coming. <laughs> I, I feel that I feel that uh, um, yeah I had to sad moment of having to decide that it was taking up too much space so i had to go for a different kind of way of storing all my minis so i had to get rid of all the small boxes which uh, broke my heart (laughs) uh, yeah other than that i'm not much of a painter so i
0: haven't been doing any of that lately but i'll need to get back on it for long (sighs) When, when you don't have to play in person i mean why 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 bother right <laughs> yeah um to be fair i'm known for rocking up to tournaments with unpainted models i'm <laughs> quite infamous hey, for it. it all works right yeah and exactly. it's not required by at least officially by gw so no hate whatever whatever works for everybody uh davy any anything going on with you
1: uh, mostly assembly lately for me, I, I think I already mentioned, I, I finished off my chosen axes and steel hearts to really get those metal war bands ready. Um, mm-hmm. and then, uh, uh, assembling the, uh, Canaan's reapers, uh, last night, I was, I was enjoying that while I was editing the previous episode, which actually probably is just dropped. I think now, now I think about it, about 12 hours before we recorded this. So in our, <laughs> our usual desperate, uh, attempt to try and keep pace, but, Perfect. uh, I really, uh, I really enjoyed putting. They just got some cool poses there. That was that was pretty fun, and uh, Kanan's big axe is pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what about yourself?
0: I've been mostly busy with doing things with our other podcast. Um, so we we just have our Soulblight Grave Lords episode going up soon. Um, I think Monday, uh, which is after we're recording right now. I guess that probably doesn't mean much to people who are (laughs) listening, Um, but soon. And then we will uh, be recording for the Broken Realms Kragnos very soon. And then we'll also have to be doing a recording for the new Dominion box for Age of Sigmar, which I am probably going to be recording on that as well. So uh, pretty busy there. Uh, I did manage to put a little bit more paint on my stalkers, but uh, have been pretty slow at that. So
1: maybe they'll be done before I use them in person again. We'll see. Yeah. Well, and that's uh, that's a, a cool thing for us. If you're local to our Madison area, uh, our, our local Warhammer store is getting ready to do in-person events to Uh, vaccination rates in, in uh, Dane County are great. And so um, if you feel safe, I think that's going to be happening uh, in our area real soon. So, um, but most of you aren't in Madison. Most of you are here to hear about uh, Canaan's Reapers. Yeah. So today we are going to run down
0: uh, a little bit differently than normal. So we will talk about the fighters and like general play styles, but then, uh, we've, we've got some decks that we've put together. Um, I have one that I built that Davey and I sort of tested just to figure out how these guys might work. And then obviously, like we said, we've got Tommy here with his deck that has had some success. Uh, and we'll, we'll sort of pick his brain about why he picked what he picked. And, uh, maybe it'll give you some ideas of how you can build a deck and run the Reapers for yourself. So let's kick things off with the core mechanics of this warband. Uh, Tommy, would you like to run us through some of their unique mechanics that people should be aware of? Yeah, definitely.
2: The, the one that shines more than any, of course, is the, the Mortech Advance. That's what makes them kind of individual. So it's kind of like Scurry for goblins, but much more aggro-based So let me see where I find it. So for those who don't know, it's a reaction after this fighter's move action. This fighter being any of the Mortex other than Benarkenta. Choose one friendly Mortex that has no move or charge tokens. The chosen fighter makes a move action that must end adjacent to this fighter. So they've almost got a kind of conga line ability, which (laughs) is great, though. And really useful, especially when playing aggro.
0: I've found and so, so you, you mentioned it there, but so this reaction can react to itself and you can, you can pull a whole bunch of these guys along if you want to, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So long as you don't, you can't start the chain with Kenta, even though Kenta's is a Mortech himself, but if yeah. you start the chain with any any of the other Mortechs, you can basically move every single model that isn't Kanan, so long as you finish the reaction chain with kenta and get five moves or even (laughs) you can react after the move action as part of a charge action and potentially have full supports in the middle of a charge action when nobody was near the target at the beginning of the activation which is really fun
0: yeah yeah that's that opens up a lot of different things um and i feel like that has been the most and i guess like you said this is sort of the thing that makes him go but uh, no pun intended, um, but is the sort of the main driver of the warband is that you can really take advantage of positioning because you can set up all of your attacks with support, which is pretty fun. So then, I guess the other mortec thing that's going on here is the naderite weapons, <clears throat> and this this uh, pairs pretty well with the mortec advance in that uh, when a more tech with natarite, which is all of them, except for hack uh, have support. Then when they roll the associated number of supports, they, uh, they get plus one damage. So for instance, if you have one supporting fighter and you roll a single support in your attack and it's successful, you'll have plus one damage. If you have double supports, then either support rolls will give you plus one damage, um, And I think in my experience, that's been a way to get some sneaky damage from some of these smaller fighters, Um, especially since you can sort of force
1: supports with more tech advance.
0: Any other thoughts with Natterite?
1: Well, uh, let me ask you this. How, how, like, it it feels like something you don't ever count on. It feels like an occasional handy bonus. Uh, But one of those things where if I'm on the other side, I'm I, I'm worried. It's more of like a a head game. Like if I'm using these guys, I'm not counting on it going off. But if I'm on the other side, I'm worried that it will go off. Um, is, is how I've seen it. How how much of a role have you felt like it's played in your games, Tommy?
2: I think it's more dependable than people give it credit for. It's um, between more tech advance, right, and some of the cards that give you plus, like just the pick and win it. Out of the the deck here, let's strength of the swarm plus one dice mm-hmm. plus one damage. If you have the supports, if you mm-hmm. can get to that kind of sweet spot of three dice, you've got a seventy percent chance of rolling a support. So it's just reasonably high. It's like, so it's not going to happen every time, but you can depend on it. It's going to happen more often than not. And yeah,
1: I guess. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, people like um, uh, fighters ferocity, right? So yeah. it's the same math
0: um and and like right i don't think you use it if you're like i need to get exactly two damage and i need the natterate to make it happen but if you're like planning charges anyway and you're just needing to make attacks hey if i can make this do two damage then why not um i've also found that with kenta you can almost guarantee that it's going to happen just because he has reach two so i think it sort of depends on who you're using it with as well as to how reliable you want it to be because you do have to have those supports set up and it's much easier to have supports with a range two attack than a range one
1: sure um i think the only other mechanic that we didn't hit here was the whole tithe counter thing uh that's their inspiration so you got to get to three tithe to inspire. Uh, you can only be collecting tithe if you have, uh, one or both of Kanan or Kenta out there. Um, and they don't really go anywhere. They just kind of float, but, uh, then there's things you can spend them on as well. Uh, but since we're already talking about fighters, um, should we, we jump in? Who do you feel like there's, I mean, Kanan's the, the big sort of flashy uh, flashy guy. Do you do you think he's the linchpin or do you feel like that goes somewhere else or is it not as simple as that?
2: I think with Kanan, it's it's weird. There's different ways you can build warband. You can focus a lot more heavily on Kanan and then possibly try and play a kind of hold objective style with the rest of the warband. I don't think that's the strongest way for them to go, but it's certainly more capable of dealing with passive opponents. But Their strength is definitely in having Kanan there as a kind of uh, (laughs) a distraction or just a big target or just something that can deal with hordes with his scything attack. But then Mm -hmm. if you've got the right cards and you've got the right build for dealing with elite fighters, the Mortex are incredible at taking down four-wind models, Uh, even
1: more slow than Kanan, I would say. Uh, As far as... uh... Distinguishing the Mortex, the um, what well, Phil was saying. So, uh, the things you got to remember is, uh, Hakor is the one without Nadirite, right? and, uh, Kenta is the one who has to finish a chain. He can't continue a chain with the, uh, advance. Um, but, uh, do you, do you find them having particular roles? You got, uh, Kenta, Hakor, Noham, Karu, Senha, um, anything in particular like this is what this guy's best for here's who I put forward first here's who I try to keep alive that sort of thing
2: Uh, so Hakor goes forward first I find that because he's got the 2 damage on the fighter card people tend to think that he's the one to be afraid of Mm -hmm. and in reality he's actually the one that probably gains the least from inspiring so he's just one that you want to charge in early try to get the damage out if you can and then when you're going for the tithe counters if you're going for inspire then the other fighters gain a lot more from it so i'd say hardcore is definitely the one that goes up front and yeah uh, is
1: it the only thing he picks up is cleave if i remember right He's, yeah that's that correct okay yeah almost almost nothing in yeah some in some matchups that is nothing but yeah yeah and in most cases um,
2: if you're going for the supports and the extra dice and damage like Cleave will yeah. always be helpful, but not so much yeah. when you've got so many supports.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the flip, who do you feel like gains the most out of inspiration?
2: Uh, I'd say potentially either Karu or know him. Mm. Know him because that ranged attack becomes very strong if you're managing to keep fighters alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, know him because the knock the additional damage, the knockback and the additional shield they they quickly manage to find damage just from nowhere, like they look like a lot of damage fighters and then next minute you've got one upgrade on them and they're knocking you back into lethals and they've done four damage
1: yeah, yeah, that knockback (laughs) is (laughs) often like a a stealth damage buff, uh, uh, because it's hard to it's hard to really position yourself. Everyone's used to not standing next to lethals, but it's a little harder to not stand in a line two away from them. Yeah, I think uh, I think what I like so Senha is the other fellow with a shield. He does go up to two block, which uh, actually we shouldn't understate. I feel like the whole warband being on one block is to to start is actually pretty decent. You know, um, certainly better uh, than one dodge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the uh, two block is a lot, and then because he goes to three fury, uh, he has that many more dice to uh, pick up a crit if you have an objective that's looking for that, or uh, have a chance at getting the supports. Although the range one makes that a little little challenging, um, but uh, that's that's pretty handy too. Yeah, Senna's is uh, definitely the one you don't want to
2: put two, unless you've not got any other choice. Senna's not the ideal one to put upgrades on because. Senna doesn't gain as much from the extra dice, obviously being mm. less accurate with Fury. Uh, sure, that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, it's it's not a bad option if you've lost a few others.
0: So, Yeah. I feel uh, like go ahead. Pretty much all of the Mortex are okay. Uh, Hackor, like you said, is definitely the worst. Um, and you probably don't really stack upgrades on Noam either just because most of the upgrades don't affect range three so you're just relying on him to just take pot shots where you can
2: yeah As, but if, uh, you get a,
0: if, if you're running glory seeker yeah, not right bad. yeah you can <laughs> you can do that too uh, make him all of a sudden shooting for three damage on a yeah. support and and it's sneaky easy to get supports when you can shoot from three away so that that suddenly becomes uh Surprise! A bit of extra damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not works especially well with some of the
2: warband specific upgrades that they've got. But of course, we can leave that until we actually talk about them later.
1: Sure. Yeah, uh, we'll call them out when we we get there. Do you want to? Uh, anyone got anything else to say about the fighters? or Should we jump into the cards here? I guess um, just for folks who maybe don't
0: know, we'll just quick rundown all of all of the mortex well except for kenta all the like base mortex they all start at three move one block two life and uh, so they're they're not exactly fast and you do have to be careful about them getting blown up Um, like don't be too crazy aggressive if you know your opponent's going to be aggressive Um, like just just be smart about it because you can bleed a lot of glory with four two wound fighters that are going to be giving up primacy and stuff
1: fair enough and then uh see what you do to mitigate that in the in the cards here so uh should we push into objectives here let's, go. let's do it sure all right so tommy you sent us a copy of your deck we're, we're we've got it up here but uh you want to start maybe uh Maybe work through your surges, or wh- however you you could even do uh, kind of the um, if you prefer a different format, whatever thought process you use to kind of get there. If you think there's uh, cards that group together nicely,
2: um, I think the I think s- spotting the many surges in the end phase is probably the easier sure. way to fall.
1: Uh, I'm looking right at the top uh, with the surges. Um, the the very first one listed here is restricted, and that's uh, that's scrum. Uh, and uh, I I put that in. I know Phil, or I didn't put that in. I, if, <laughs> and if if people uh, haven't noticed, I I don't consider myself much of a deck maker. I'm more a deck stealer and then play with. But uh, should should uh, do something about that at some point. Anyway, uh, Scrum I I've been playing with uh, in some other uh, other factions. This one it just like happens. Like it's it's built to go with that uh, more tech advance, right? Yeah, scum is just a given in most games, unless you draw it at the very end of
2: the game, which would be unlucky. It's you're scoring for doing exactly what you would want to do anyway. So I think yeah, uh, that goes without saying even even as a restricted slot, it's just too easy. Yeah, and I
1: I think I, I know that um, the last game Phil and I played, I I had that in the opening hand. And just to get some seed glory, I, th- I think I walked a vulnerable fighter backwards uh, to get scrum on my first activation, and then uh, and then trigger. Um, so it was it was available there mostly because I knew, or it, it felt like Phil was going to be coming at me, so I could I could delay a little bit before committing and, and get. So it was nice that it could either be like passive, you know, pre engagement glory, or glory that's going to trigger as you're going in. So. Um, what else? Uh, what else do you have for surges there?
2: Uh, so I've got Show of Force, which is probably actually the weaker or one of the weaker ones in there. It can be very easy, kind of mid to late game when you've had a chance to start running more in or when you've had a chance to put some upgrades on Kanan or Kenta. First mm-hmm. activation of the first round that might be a wee bit weaker, unless you've maybe got some other cards, but. It's still a reasonably easy search. Okay, um, there's some certainty in here, which is just roll a like roll a critical strike or a critical success, right? Um, or a critical hit. I, so
1: you, yeah, yeah. So that's, I think we see later. You've got a lot of ways of adding dice into there. So I think that's that's a nice just be going about your business and happen to score this sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, yep. But with these guys, their,
2: their strength isn't just killing things. So you want to attack all the time. So if you're attacking all the time, you're going to get a crit at some point. So again, it's sure. another surge that just scores because you're doing exactly what you want to be doing in the first place.
1: Right. And I guess I mentioned the extra dice, but it's not just that. You've got a lot of uh, ways, we'll see, of uh, generating more attacks. So more dice and more attacks all combined to give you more chances to score this one.
2: Yeah, exactly. And uh, Next up, Pride of the Emissarian Cast. That's a surge for Kanan himself holding an objective in enemy territory. I mean, he doesn't need to charge on it like bold Conquest. Just move him on there and Mm, score. Yep. (laughs) then he's ready and starts (laughs) swinging up. That's so easy. Some players are good at um, making that difficult for you. Once it kind of catch on where you're going to place Kanan and try to kind of keep objectives in awkward places for you so you're not in a good spot if you move on to one but even with that it's just a generally easy one glory
1: yeah i think his range too really helps there as well because he he can kind of control a lot of space with wherever he ends up so um there's there's only so much they can do to mitigate with uh placing them awkwardly yeah
0: i agree um and one thing that i found is that like if you know you're running this, you can place an objective in a place that makes it easy to score. And then your opponent either has to come and stand on that objective that you put very close to the front lines or they leave it for you. And both things are fine in your opinion, because if somebody comes and stands on it, then you can go chop them. And if they don't, then you can go stand on it. So
1: I think that one's good. Do you, do you find yourself with the uh, with the bandwidth to be able to do that during objective placement timing or are you are you usually uh, prioritizing other uh, things when you're when you're placing?
2: Um, I like to keep, because of the amount of sighting going on, the extra attacks like the fact that I'm looking to attack as often as possible, I try to keep objectives as grouped up as possible. So there's normally always options available. Uh, mm. It just becomes difficult if you run into some kind of feed the beast grave stuff they start, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is but there's not <laughs> that much makes everything with objectives that, difficult.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, thankfully, the rest of the deck doesn't really depend on objectives
1: at all. Sure, that's about yeah. the only one. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, you got something uh, new in here from the I think this is the most recent pack here. Everything, everything to prove. What are your thoughts on that one? That's an awesome card. <laughs> 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 so good. I could see that being
2: restricted at some point. I imagine. I, I, can't see a situation where you wouldn't run that card. Maybe if you're playing rippers or something, it's quite awkward mm. with primacy. But any any warband with a two model fighter runs that card, um, or just any warband that is planning on gaining the primacy token and has some kind of quarry tech. Not that you're going to score it at some point, without
1: a doubt. Mm-hmm. It's
2: just really good.
1: Yeah, I, it was uh, it was one of those kind of a double take when. Uh one of our sides. There's, it's, uh, both sides of it are, are definitely achievable. Uh, some warbands can get it both ways, and whatever warband you're getting can probably get it one of them. So, um, I think that only leaves one left. Tithe Masters, is that correct? Yeah, Tithe Masters was nice. It's hmm. not the strongest one in there, but it's
2: quite reliable because it doesn't matter if you're up against an elite warband or a horde. Warband. If it's mm. an elite one, then kill. It's essentially kill one fighter. If it's a hard warband, mm. kill two fighters. And thankfully, with a couple of the other cards in there, you can make it a bit easier to score as well. You can even score it without killing any fighters if you're lucky enough. Sure,
1: you put them in yeah. a, a bad spot as far as deciding on a card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Phil. Uh, so I Phil has in his deck, and I know that you did, um, here's two to consider. There was a, a Perfect Strike and Impending Doom. Uh, it looks like you've rotated those out. So what are, what are your thoughts on those? You must have played them for a while and then uh, decided they weren't making the cut. Perfect Strike is great
2: because you're, you're trying to gain so many supports that chances are you're rolling mostly successes. Um, getting the exact damage with Naderite can be a little tricky sometimes. And it's just that it, I put it in there because it's just alpha as hell <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just fun yeah. to try and achieve it but i found myself going out my way a wee bit more than i should to try and score it rather than just taking a one tory sure. objective and just playing kind of a lot more naturally
1: and you're saying that naderite. Uh, the problem there is that you sometimes accidentally do too too, too much damage when you roll that single support yeah and all of a sudden you yeah. spike your damage where you didn't mean to
2: yeah, it's, it's not a good place when you're re-rolling successes to try and not. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: how can i do less damage yeah. um yeah i i included it mostly just because i was curious to see how reliable it would be because on the face of it it does kind of feel unreliable but i thought like you said with all the supports it might it might not be too bad um but yeah, in in my playtests, it did feel like you were really having to think a lot about how you were going to go about attacking and who you were attacking with on whom. And that that probably is maybe a little bit too micromanagey and like is a little unreliable It might be making you do suboptimal things just to try and score this. So I I would probably take it out as well, but. I have had success with it i don't think i've had a game where i didn't score it so um i don't know it's it's more reliable than i thought it would be
1: i guess the, the other thing that kind of messes with it a little bit is those uh those narrow escape um ripas or the uh uh berserk fortitude right. um and those are both war bands that that pop up from here and there but yeah uh but yeah a, a two two surge that that uh Happens for aggro is pretty pretty rare, so definitely worth looking. the other, The other one was a uh, impending doom, and this is the have end activation with uh, two friendlies next to an enemy. Uh, what rotated that out for you, or was that kind of a judgment call?
2: I found that early game it can be reasonably easy, mid to mm-hmm. late game it just starts becoming much more difficult, and I found more often than not I was choosing not to charge but to move just so I could score
1: impending doom Mm. and oh because you were worried about killing the fighter too early and then yeah yeah exactly
2: (laughs) the warband's just too good at killing things I'm just too good (laughs) (laughs) I'd say honestly when it comes to annihilating the opponent this warband's probably one of the best so trying to have two fighters left standing next to one Mm.
1: isn't always a given well, that would explain why you have yeah. annihilation in here. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do was you do have that. uh something close here. You have uh, absolute dominance. Um, and that uh that's one point where yours differs from Phil. You have absolute dominance, which is uh three glory for just one left alive and at least two of your own. Phil's got uh, demolished the opposition, which is the hybrid um which says you can score it just with one left alive or if they don't have anyone in their own territory, if no enemies in enemy territory. Did you consider Demolish? And if you did, what uh, what made you break for Absolute Dominance instead?
2: Uh, It's definitely a a coin flip kind of choice. The reason Mm -hmm. I went for Absolute Dominance instead of Demolish was the fact that I could score it in the second round rather than the third.
1: Oh, right.
2: Okay. Against warbands like maybe Wormspat or just kind of strong three-fighter warbands, being able to score absolute dominance in the second round before they start wiping you out can be can be make a big difference. But yeah, the martial opposition is probably more consistent as far as being sure. able to score.
1: That's a good point. I I see uh, I see those three-fighter warbands uh, as they start pouring the upgrades on whoever's you know, whoever's got the in your de pain or whatever that you're not gonna take out, they start pouring more upgrades. and you can pick off the other ones, uh, and you you gotta get in ahead of, of the rest. So that's a good point. Um have you do you have any thoughts on that, Phil? Um
0: yeah, I mean it's basically the same thought process for me in that I I felt like demolish the opposition is a little more reliable. Um in case you have like a really bad game you could theoretically still score it without having gotten an appropriate number of kills but it is third end phase so if you draw it too early um that can also slow you down um but i feel like one three glory three third end phase is worth that risk um so i felt i'd give it a try um seems okay so far i i don't know if i would necessarily stick with it but I don't think there's anything wrong with the choice. I think it works. It's probably more of
2: a kind of rock-paper-scissor effect. Like, uh, the more self-position will definitely be stronger against, like, say, your Harrows, or any passive warband that's sitting back, which is probably a good thing because that's almost probably the main weakness of the Reapers. Um, But, yeah, against kind of more aggro-based
1: Voltron-y kind of warbands, it starts becoming a bit more difficult. Yep. Um, there is a, there's a couple here that are not quite, but almost the same card. Um, that would be, uh, walking mass grave and, uh, team effort. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess walking mass grave has the advantage that you don't have to have, you can do it with just one person left alive, which is not much of a mass grave, but there you go. (laughs) Hard, you know, but uh team effort. I, I remember being surprised the first time this scored on me. I was like, what team effort? There's like six guys in this warband. and then you know, as soon as I thought about it a little longer, I'm like, Oh, that actually makes a ton of sense. Do you uh, found these pretty reliable, I imagine? Do you come to them pretty early in your development? Um yeah, maybe not team effort,
2: definitely walking mass grave, but then mm. as you say, they're so similar the team effort I managed to find its way in there eventually. I find they're sure. Most critical in getting that necessary early glory you need, if your opponent's sitting back and waiting on you, yeah, and you're just wanting to advance up. You only need two activations to score them, so
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's what I especially you. like about them is if you're talking about that sort of passive, somebody's sitting back, or you get in that situation where somebody's or each side is waiting for the other to commit. Uh, you can still score these while waiting to commit. Uh, sometimes you know I'll have a war band that's got team effort but in order to do it, I'm having to like, I've got, well, I got like three or four guys. I'm already on the second activation. I'm having to decide if I'm pushing forward. You have six people, but you can wait until your last two. So that's, that's real solid. Yeah.
0: I, and I guess I kind of came to them in the opposite order. I I put team effort in right away because I figured I could chain movement and guaranteed that everyone activated. And then strangely enough, I was, waiting on walking mass grave because i didn't necessarily always want to have to move my fighters um i could like with team effort you can score it by just having people make attacks um without having to move so if you're already in position whereas with walking mass grave if you're already in position now suddenly you're gonna have to move your guys around and you might not want to um but i figured after a while thinking about it uh it's it's easy, and there's nothing your opponent can do about it, so it's sort of silly not to take it.
1: Um, another another kind of auto one you have in here is an intimidating display. That feels pretty reliable to you?
2: Yeah, it's, it's all scored against anyone that's not running a kind of big boy warband, and even against you know, Rothgarn or Molog. So long as you're going into enemy territory, then you're probably going to score. I'd say Molog is probably the more difficult one because you don't want to give them too many targets sure tomorrow ruins everything so there's no point uh
1: let's see we just got a couple left here what uh uh created for war that is real juicy um this is uh score two glory in the end phase we made four more attack actions in the preceding action phase uh, uh Crucially, including power step, right? Dirty, dirty card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: considering I've got
2: was it one, two, minimum? Let's say three bonus attacks just from cards alone, and the fact Kanan is siding. Yeah, it can it can be difficult in some matchups for sure. Again, it's back to this kind of passive weakness if models sitting at the back of the board you can't get to them, then you're not going to be able to attack them. Mm. Um, but if you're doing exactly what you want to do and that's just getting in about it and having a massive scrum of attacks, then, yeah,
1: you're going to hit four, no problem. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that they have a lot of different ways to get there. Um, I guess if you're really in a pinch, then know him can help you out You know, by lobbing shots into the back. Um, so that just leaves clean kills and this is, uh, to glory for having fighters out of action with a combined wounds, uh, characteristic of six or more. There's a lot of objectives out there now that say, you know, they have that look kind of like this. That's, they may say like kill two and do this thing, uh, or kill two and have this other condition met. Uh, what, what landed you on clean kills instead of the rest and how have you felt about it? Um. I know there's some talk sometimes about uh, counterplay against it. Uh, I don't know how realistic that ends up actually being. Um, what's your what's your take on it after running it?
2: Uh, yeah, it's pretty reliable. Um, you usually manage to kill two. In and, a and best-of-three, yeah, your opponent might start counterplaying it, but what's quite good about that is they don't know what round you're holding it. So if they're trying to mm-hmm. counterplay it, in round one by running through lethal's and you're not holding it till round three, then awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. what yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a bit of a it's got it's got its own risk, but it's essentially
1: sure. Kill two
2: or three fighters and score this. Uh,
1: uh yeah, it feels a little like tithe masters in the sense that it because it is the uh six characteristic six wounds uh combined uh you it's it's neither a good into hordes nor a, a good into elite like it, it has a flexibility to be good in either and that tithe masters kind of has that same vibe um as far as that goes which is which is nice when you're doing the all comers thing uh tournament decks
2: yeah
1: what's also good is if you run into
2: moloch then you can just focus on killing him yeah, <laughs> just yeah kill sure. <laughs> it's
1: just that easy uh think- is that just a quick aside is that the is that the way you usually go uh when you're up against molly just try and take him down oh yeah yeah that's that's yeah yeah for sure nice i was gonna say i I think with these
0: guys especially you it's actually doable like (laughs) he's pretty easy to hit and you get a lot of attacks so just start piling it on and you'll get there faster than he'll kill all of your guys probably especially with kanan he can't kill kanan maybe Maybe I mean it's, no, it's not a guarantee, but you've got a better chance than just about anybody else, right?
2: Yeah, yes, yeah, that's, that's for sure. I was thinking, uh, I was trying to think who it was. I was talking to somebody that day who says he managed to do seventeen damage to my and he didn't. Oh die. My gosh!
1: <laughs> oh no, he's
2: still alive. So it's like, yeah, some games it doesn't matter how much you pile on, and he's just not going
1: to die. Just, oh man! Yeah, wow! Such is life. I was I was wondering if there was like sort of a, a meta uh advantage there where sometimes you know uh because there's other war bands who are just like I, i'm just gonna ignore malog like that's i'm not gonna kill him my only chance is to ignore him and so you know wonder if the malog decks build enough in assuming that they're gonna be ignored that they they don't have uh enough to deal with it but it sounds like uh at least somebody has enough to deal with a lot of damage 17 oh man
0: <laughs> i think <laughs> there's just so much good healing tech right now that like he don't. You don't even need to tech that much for Molog. and I. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but he he can he can stay alive and stay healthy
1: without trying that hard, which is frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it. Uh, any any other thoughts on the um, power deck? I'm sorry, uh, objective deck. Uh, objectives are
2: quite tricky for
1: them. That's for sure, especially in phase. Yeah. Uh, they do. They
2: are incredibly strong aggro into certain matchups, but it is a kind of a rock-paper-scissors effect for them. Where if you come up against Curse Breakers on the back,
1: Banshees, Wraith Creepers, then you're going to have a hard time. Um, do you do you feel like there's a a particular opening hand that you hate to see? Uh, and maybe matchup dependent, but there's something is there is there something that you found uh, one particular card or a uh, couple of cards that have found you uh forcing yourself into a into a mulligan or are you usually able to kind of fight through uh, whatever you draw
2: i mean yeah the the worst hand you can get is created horror, absolute dominance and clean kills in the starting hand mm-hmm. that's you're gonna lose <laughs> seven glory and a 16 glory deck Yes, it was almost game over before you even started. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, nah, it's, it's, it's not too bad. Uh, they can score most things uh, reasonably well, so long as
0: the yeah. opponent isn't playing them. And uh, and that gets worse in my deck because demolish the opposition, you literally can't score it until the third <laughs> round. So, um, yeah, that hand feels real bad. They're.
2: they're, they're really awesome at just taking models down really quickly early game if you get the right hands especially with punching up and strength of the swarm in a starting hand that's just mm. insane yeah. <laughs> i think poor chris uh when i was kind of testing them out tried to play aggro curse breakers into them and got annihilated in round one. Oh, <laughs> oh my <no>. goodness <laughs> wow <laughs> Yeah, they, they can nice. pressure damage very quickly if you underestimate them, especially if you underestimate the Mortex.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a real fun aspect of them is that like you were saying at the beginning, Kanan is this big scary thing but uh, but there's a whole lot of damage coming from the small guys. and that's, that's a neat warband design that we haven't seen a whole lot of. Yeah.
0: So you'd mentioned punching up in Strength of the Swarm and I think that's a a good segue into our uh, gambits here. So I guess maybe give us give us why why those two to start since you've already mentioned them. <laughs> well, I try to get
2: as much kind of synergy between cards and fighters as I possibly can in a deck. So obviously with the Martech Advance getting supports is mm-hmm. one of the primary things that they're good at. The fact you've got two wind fighters means that punching up is going to be very easy to to use and between those two cards you can be dishing out four damage on the first activation with <laughs> a minimum of four dice on the attack as well oh my gosh potentially <laughs> what it is, it's, yeah it can be a massive hit to to any warband especially ones that quite like to have you know a kind of big fighter up front doing damage and stuff like that. If someone's playing Wraith Creepers and they're just a wee bit too aggressive with Reaper, then they're going to lose them really quickly.
1: Yeah. So. yeah, Nice. Um, oh, yeah, that, that's how you get tabled in round one with Curse Breakers. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of action yeah. there. Uh, what I like about that is that uh, I think I remember seeing, I think we talked Strength of the Swarm, we were a little lukewarm on it. Um, but I like that there's universals out there that are are kind of maybe not not amazing uh, except in particular warbands, but this is I don't know I, I like that there's a warband that can leverage that uh, really well. So um, yeah, that's that's pretty. Pretty cool to see those two. Go- that that that's one of those where like as those power cards come come down, and you're on the other side. Your heart just starts sinking. Like, oh man, <laughs> man <laughs> it's, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> I, I I will have to watch these dice roll, but I kind of already know what's gonna happen. So. For sure. We've yeah. Got a couple of uh, let's see, card draw. So we can just uh, <clears throat> mention that real quick. Uh, Duel of Wits is in there, uh, but also unnatural truce. Uh, do you just find that the power cards is, are that important, you want to have that extra draw uh, get you through there? I like think Duel of Wits we're seeing just about everywhere, but uh, um, I know Unnatural Truce is not in the original one you sent us, it, it, what, uh, just needed that extra little bit. Yeah,
2: so they are quite, especially early game, they're very dependent on their movement cards. They are on, as you see, Never Falter and Eternal Chase to get them all up to 4 movement. And that yep. can make a huge difference as far as getting models into position for supports or just getting into your opponent's territory so that you can start getting an aggressive second round. So I did try it with one piece of draw tech, but it just wasn't enough. I found it's a bit more reliable for round
1: two. Mm. Uh, and you mentioned your two uh, movement ones the Never Falter Eternal Chase. Uh, how often have you have you ever been able to use Eternal Chase to uh, kind of lock out the speed package on someone else, or is it you pretty much ninety nine percent of the time just using it to boost your own move? Uh, well, ideally you get both. I have managed to get <laughs> it a couple of
2: times because especially it's especially good round one because round one you're either using Kanan quite early, you just kind of put them up front and just use them to kind of distracting an all your opponent and mm. eventually especially if you're up against an agro warband they'll line up for that 6 hex charge that's going to score them like 4 or 5 glory mm. <laughs> uh, <yeah>, it's, <laughs> it's brutal if you just like, whip paternal chase out and all of a sudden everyone's on 4 movement you can't score in your your mm. package stuff and not only that the more techs are about to come in and all of a sudden they're within range of multiple fighters it's a horrible yeah. place for the opponent to be in
1: now normally a card like this i'd i'd hold on to it. you know obviously if they throw down their uh spectral wings this is a nice counter drop on that um but uh if you're playing someone like uh i don't know the um let's say the uh uh grim watch uh do you ever play this like real early just to just to uh prevent the bats from getting uh uh gather momentum or something like that or do you just kind of uh or or maybe later later in the game when people have speed upgrades on play it early to make sure they can't uh speed package surprise or or do you just tend to to hold it and if they've got it they've got it
2: it really depends on the warband if i think it's likely Mm -hmm. to be running speed package i'll be more inclined to hold on to it but i'll Mm -hmm. never hold on to it um and can I mess up my own plans and what I'm doing as soon sure. as I'm ready to come in with the more text it'll work out regardless of what my opponent's done. But if, if I can kinda can hold on to it and bait my opponent out with some spectral lines or anything else, then yeah, I'll mm-hmm. I'll give it a try.
1: Um, looks like you got another positioning one here, center of attention. Um, how did you land on center of attention as opposed to, you know, any any the other ones, uh sidestep or distraction or Oh, is it just the flexibility of that?
2: Yeah, so I found it's very good for the likes of Scrum and mm. also very good for lining up some siding attacks with Canon. It's, But at the oh, same okay. time, it's also just incredibly good for if your opponent's on multiple objectives, then you can usually mm. get it's, it's effectively a double distraction mm. if your positioning is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's um yeah it's it's harder to use than just a simple distraction, but it can
0: be more rewarding if it's used. Sure. Well. So that's why that makes sense. And that, uh, go ahead. That's one I hadn't considered. I've got ceaseless advance just so I could get multiple pushes, but um, I think I think you probably have a lot more flexibility with something like center retention. Ceaseless, ceaseless advance is awesome. It's it's the card that's it's probably number eleven in the deck,
2: and it was in there, I believe, and I took out for a natural truce. I just found that when I was using it in a lot of games, it didn't have as much of an effect as what I would have liked.
1: For uh, for folks who are just listening, what can you run down Cecil's advance real quick? Oh, yeah, sure. So Cecil's advance is
0: basically um, it's a sidestep where you. Get to push two hexes towards the nearest enemy fighter with one more tech. And then when you play the card, you can discard a number of tithe counters. And for every one you discard, you can push another more tech one hex. Um, Two hexes. Two hexes. Two hex. Well, wait a minute. So you can push one friendly Mortec for each tithe counter you discarded and one additional friendly fighter. Uh, oh, they all get to move two hexes. Yeah. Oh man, I've even been playing that wrong. <laughs> okay. So it's it's even better than I thought. But they do all have to go towards the nearest enemy fighter. So it is aggro only, but I mean that's pretty much what you're doing here anyway. But yeah, it's a lot it's a way to move a lot of mortecs all at once.
1: It's the new coolest thing for death factions just push towards the enemy.
0: Yeah, you a
1: Wraith Creeper or a Reaper keeps them from
0: uh, abusing hold objective stuff. So, sure, (laughs) it should. It doesn't, though. It should,
1: (laughs) yeah. Uh, we've got three left here. Um, we're gonna go, uh, so Jealous Defense, uh, that's a card that when it gets into the right deck is real powerful. And is that just because it's so easy to have gotten a fighter position onto an objective with one of those uh more tech moves. Um it's got has well, got a million uses in this warband <laughs> So it
2: yeah. works really well with Kanan and Pride of the Emissarian cast. Mm, so sure. again it's, it's kinda your opponent feeling comfortable with that four fighter model. And uh, expect mm-hmm. you move Kanan within range onto an objective score pride of the Emissarian cast. Stick great strength on him. And then jealous defense, and both the leaders. Oof! Oof. Wow. <laughs> <So> yeah, <laughs> really nasty if you if you pull that out. But if you're using it with the mortex, yeah, the fact that you can create that conga line over an objective uh, with one that's just moved rather than charged, mm-hmm. and then you can what you can do is if you want to be really nasty. So the, the kind of super combo that you can work out, and it's good for taking out like. Big models like your mologs or rothcoms as so you can charge in with say Hakor, you can move up another fighter just for ease we'll say kenta uh and kenta's on an objective obviously everything has to sit really nicely for this to work mm-hmm. you've just done your damage with hack and then you put down unnerving synchrony on hackman mm-hmm. which uh, just for those that don't know it's a reaction after an adjacent friendly Mortex attack action, other than a siding action, this fighter makes an attack action. And yeah, that can trigger off of jealous defense. You can get a triple attack down. <laughs> yeah. Guards.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's got some really kind of horrible uses if you get the right position and then the right setup.
1: Yeah, I guess there's another one where uh, center of attention can be uh, pretty handy. You can. Uh, either drag uh, Kanan onto an objective so that he can do that, or uh, do like you said, to the emissary and get him on their center of attention and then scything all over everybody. A lot, of, a lot of dramatic plays there. That's cool. Yeah, um, definitely calls but... back to the uh, the just
0: make lots of attacks
1: strategy of being <laughs> accurate. <laughs> <laughs> <But> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if you miss once in a while. If uh, if you're just Throwing six or seven attacks somehow, mm-hmm. so um, victimizing there as as far as different accuracy boosts that are available is that um, you land on that as is the uh, quarry caveat on that particularly important. This is the plus one dice for range one or two, uh, all the rerolls if uh, if the target is a quarry.
2: That's a, oh, a I guess card. there's so many quarry cards going around nowadays with the silent tech mm. and your know, strength of terror just, there's, there's quarry everywhere basically so it's in it's, yeah. uh, it, the worst case scenario it's plus one dice which is still a decent card but
1: And I, the, I totally forgot about uh, eternal chase is going to boost that too huh yeah yeah, exactly yep. yeah.
2: yeah, there's just so many
1: ways in which fighters are becoming quarries that it's almost a,
2: a given if you've got a fighter that's doing three damage or more that victimizes it's an awesome choice
1: yeah uh saving the best for last rebounds in here <laughs> <laughs> are you are you uh is it in there a specific tech for something or uh is it in there because your fellows are so small or what's what's uh or are, are you a are you a rebound in all decks sort of guy uh i used to be the lar
2: i really used to be the lar until i got restricted yeah, yeah it was in every yeah. single deck. It's more of a kind of tempo booster. It's almost a win more kind of thing. But um mm-hmm. it just works really well against some of the problem warbands, I say Molog or even an even an enemy like Kanan. Mm. Uh yeah, it's a one in three. Yeah, it might not work. No big deal. It's just a, a lost gambit if it doesn't sure. work. But the payoff when it does is just huge. It can win games by itself. Uh-huh. Um, a prime yeah. example is when Shubi decided they wanted to test Mog and these guys charged in, got rebounded, was dead the next application. <laughs> 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 it just completely like turns the tide of a game. So yeah, yeah. it's a yeah, a, just... a, it's a nasty cup, but it's, if you, if you can afford to have it in there, then you
1: should. Yeah even just going off once in a best of three is uh, it's going to swing that series big time. So mm-hmm. sure. Or if you're
2: Steve or someone that just rolls crits all the time, you just get it three. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all the crits. Uh, that covers it. Uh, Phil, do you have any gambits that you, uh, it looks like you had, uh, uh, was it methodical assault, acidic strike? Yes, yeah,
0: so those are the three that I had that Tommy didn't. Um, so methodical assault, um, I mean, I guess I have it in there for two reasons. One is just that it gets you a, an attack again if you failed, which is nice. Um, but but it since it's one of these where it gives your opponent the choice of either they let you make the attack or they give you tithe counters... Um, sometimes you don't actually get to make the attack you want um, which sometimes is nice because then you can score tithe masters off of it but if you already have scored tithe masters or if you already have a bunch of tithe counters sometimes that's not great so um mileage may vary with that one but i like sometimes having that choice especially early game because then your opponent's like well i don't want you to inspire but i don't want you to kill my guy um so i don't know i like putting that on my opponent um commanding stride i don't know just lots of ways to reposition kanan when you can push him three hexes um especially when he's got reach two and scything can just put people in a bad spot and they weren't expecting him to suddenly show up and start swinging for the rest of the round probably not the best choice but i think it's funny um and then acidic strike is one where i just wanted to try it um just because there's so many upgrades right now that people are relying on to having the ability to pull upgrades off i wanted to see how it would work um so far the best uses i've found for it are peeling off plus wounds upgrades just as effectively a plus damage upgrade or a ploy But I suppose you could also use it to mess with things like Cryptic Companion or if somebody had an accuracy boost and you knew they needed to make those attacks, you could peel that off. Um, I don't know. I haven't
1: actually gotten to use it a lot yet. But I want to see if it would work. Inspired Nohem's real good at shooting that silent ring right off your finger.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for those three. Aesthetic Strike is one up yeah i agree i'd like to make it work in a deck i just can't find space for it it's one of those cards that's really good but it doesn't do much for helping like it doesn't do much for you as far as helping you do what you want to do It's just stop yep, right your opponent from doing what they want to do which isn't a bad choice but um you're kind of waiting for it to be useful when it's not always going to be the case uh command and stride is, yeah that's awesome like this. That's just that. There's no arguing against that card. It's really good. It's, uh, I focus more on the Mortex than Canaan. Is the only reason I don't have it. it's yeah. just a personal choice. Doesn't mean it's a good one. Lastly, um, methodical. So I found was very feast or famine. I found very rarely did I get the choice that I was looking for at the time, and very often late game, if I drew it. My opponent was quite happy to give me two tithe counters and I won't have yep. much to do with them. So I found it was almost a fifty fifty in games whether it was actually useful or not.
0: So that's why mm. I didn't make it. Yep. Yep. That and like I said, I think pretty much it's it's only good early game. And it can be a really good early game, but um yeah, late game you're you're never getting that
1: extra attack. So yeah. Right. Right. I guess the decision point there with the, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is that, uh, Kanan does have the, the, uh, spend tithe counters to get bonuses. So, you know, yeah, I, I think they must've put that in there as a, okay. Like once you've got these tithe counters, like, and people, if they're still handing them to you, like there needs to be some reason to have them. So, um, did, uh, yeah. I, the, when I've played, I, I more or less forget that this is even possible, but, uh, do you, do you find yourself using the tithe counters on uh, Kanan in, in any particular way uh, more than others? Or is it just dependent on the situation, Tammy?
2: It does depend on the situation. But what I found playing them is catching your opponent off guard with that extra move is mm. just hilarious. Exp- <laughs> Everyone's yeah. counting three hexes from and then they think they're safe. And then I've spent two Tithe characters and I'm at four movement. And they're like, oh,
1: okay.
2: <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be a thing that people just need to get used to from playing against Bone Reapers. It's probably just a kind of teething problem. But in and out. Oh,
1: that's a good term It's always you. awesome. Yeah. Do you find yourself uh, doing it pre-inspiration, uh, spending them, or, or are you really kind of trying to hold on to them um, to inspire? Or is it uh, situation again.
2: Yeah, it depends how crucial the attack is. If the attack is mm. potentially going to turn the tide of the game in my favour, then yeah, I might need to sacrifice Inspire in order to do that. Um, Yeah, it's, it's really it's just a balancing game with these guys. If you can get inspired sure. before you start spending tide, great, but if you wait yeah. too long and start missing attacks because you're not willing to spend them beforehand, then it's not worth
1: it right fair enough yeah i mean i guess worst case scenario or not worst case scenario but like you you could spend them and just earn them right back with the right attack so yeah um yep um are we going to upgrades here that the... i think i think we might as well
0: um, all right and i think where we left off with tithe actually i think is a good place to start um so the tithe stone uh, what are your thoughts on this one, Tommy? Uh,
2: best best card in the game. <laughs> oh, best card in the
0: game. Okay, good. Well, there we did it. We did it. We found the best card. Um, yeah, I can give a quick rundown. So for folks who don't know, this is an upgrade that has to go on Kenta. Um, at the end of the action phase, if Kenta is in another player's territory, that player has to make a choice. Either they give you a tithe counter or... Uh, they have to discard one glory point so already that's that's pretty brutal Um, but then it also has a reaction where during a friendly mortex range one or two attack action before the attack roll you can discard one tithe counter and if you do get plus one dice for that attack action other than that it's the best card in the game what are your thoughts
2: (laughs) it's just the tempo that it offers and the damage to your opponent's morale when you're just constantly adding dice on your attacks on that one yeah <laughs> uh, it's it's better than most people give credit for because they think that they just see the one kind of the one dice and then just end it at that obviously your opponent's never going to discard the quality point point; they're just going to give you tithe characters so they won't see the point yeah. in that first bit <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the f- Bit that's missed is how well it works with Naderite. Mm. So, if you can get the ball rolling with that card, all of a sudden your Naderite is going to trigger a lot more often. So, it can almost translate to plus one damage to all your Vortex attacks <laughs> in, in a way. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, you, right, right. The, yeah. Perf- the ideal situation is not always going to work like that, but that is the potential of it.
1: Yeah. I, for me, and I haven't played a ton with these guys, I keep forgetting that, the, and it doesn't doesn't speak well to my evaluation of them. I keep forgetting this is in there, and so like i would just accidentally leave uh, Kenta in like neutral territory, and then try draw draw, draw up this card and be like, ah, damn it, like <laughs> what, what, what do I do? Um, uh, so but uh, yeah, very cool card, uh, very cool design. It's that it's that classic card where it's like give you an upgrade for a thing that the model actually has, you know, be it the the retchling or the tithe stone or the, you know, the eel or whatever. So I, I got a little soft spot in my heart for those as well. Where do you want to go next, here, Phil? Uh,
0: well, we were just talking about how this pairs well with Natarite, so I suppose we could talk about empowered Natarite, which is probably another one of the better upgrades in the game. <laughs> um, so this is. <laughs> This can go on Karu, Kenta, Noem, and Senna. So basically, it's all the Mortex with a, a Naderite weapon. Um, it gives plus one damage to their range one or two Naderite attack actions, and plus one dice to their Naderite attack actions. Which Ugh. is <laughs> whew, um, plus one dice and plus one damage you almost yeah. never see anywhere. Um, right? I, this is just always in play. Is in my opinion amazing no matter who you're gonna put it on it's always gonna be good
1: yeah hey do you like great strength do you like strength of terror (laughs) would you like them both on the same card (laughs) (laughs) well i think i will (laughs) um i
0: don't know how how your use of this tends to go tommy i really like putting this on kenta just because he's got the reach too um uh but i don't don't know what what have you found it will definitely get most of its value from
2: Kenta. Um, the only thing is, with running Tidestone Stone, there's a bit of a balance between if you want to make Kenta as big a target as that, or whether yeah. you get away with right. putting it on Karu. Because when it's on Karu, Karu's all of a sudden three smash, three damage, and knocking you back Oof. in the lethal. So he's, he's Yeah. Player. But yeah, it definitely <laughs> has the most value if you can get it on Kenta, for sure.
1: Uh, and I guess even Nohim gets uh you know, inspired. All of a sudden, he's shooting a four smash bow shot. Yeah. What? So you I mean, it's not it's not ideal because you lose the the damage part of it. But yeah, with Naderite, maybe you get it back with your if if you got a support. So
0: just auto include. I think every every one of these decks that you build, you are going to be bringing empowered Naderite.
1: Um, on the subject of damage bumps uh Tommy you've got savage strength great strength uh Phil you've got uh great strength glory seeker um so uh just sort of philosophical you know glory seeker I guess helpful on know him um and doesn't have the downside of of losing a defense die but uh I guess Tommy you're just you know why, why worry about defending when you just kill him in the first place? Is that the philosophy there?
2: Yeah, kind of. Oh, I'll be honest, I was having to practice a lot of games into Chris and his gets. and I probably just got a bit pissed <laughs> off at the fact Glory Seeker was close. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely has a place in there. But it's, yeah, it's whether you run something that's going to be Good against any warband, or whether you're on something that's probably going to be more useful against most.
1: Sure. Um, how about uh, since we we're talking about how good the Mortex are, there's unnerving synchrony. We talked about that a little bit uh, earlier already, but that's the reaction after an adjacent friendly Mortex attack action, other than scything. The spider makes an attack action. Um, I'm guessing the scything caveat is there, I mean, because you mighty swing or whatever, but just to keep weird things from happening I, I don't know but uh yeah this this is your this is your route to extra attacks helps with the creative for war helps with you like you were talking about the, the dream combo so i don't know if there's much more to say on that but uh pretty solid um you i guess you usually they're trying to get this on the well no i guess it i i so what i when i had played i i put this on, uh, Kenta, um, but I like what you're saying is you, you put it on one of the range one guys use Kenta to, to trigger it with something else. And then they get to go again. That way you're not too stacked up all in one place.
2: Yeah. It just depends on the setup. It can be very strong on no him as well. Mm. Since no him mm-hmm. can have more targets to trigger off of, but yeah, sure. the, mm-hmm. it's, it's the perfect name for it. Cause it's, say it's <laughs> thinking in it It makes created for war easier It makes team effort easier. It Mm. works well with, (laughs) like, obviously, your your Naderite stuff and all that. And yeah, it's it's just another card that makes the rest of your cards work. Sure. Um,
1: Even more action efficiency coming from Primal Lunge as well, i.e., ready for (laughs) Dyarchasm. Yes. Yeah, Primal Lunge is awesome.
2: Uh, Yeah, again, it can trigger off a nerve and synchrony. But what I like to do with Primal Lunge is combine it. Well, it gets back to the Gits thing. Try and get as many Gits around them as I possibly can. Start Uh siding, get the premises start start siding again.
1: Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. I love it. Sounds like you got something out for the (laughs) Gits. Annoying. They're annoying. <laughs> yeah, <had> that <laughs> two dodge really. You know. uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd had a match against them with the reavers, and it was like, oh you know, two dodged, lucky. Like, I was like <laughs> these, these guys are so hard to kill. Not, not like me. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. We got uh, one difference here. I noticed uh, you got witchlight glimmer in there um and that's a more tech only uh you will inspire and cannot be uninspired a fighter and then you allow a re-roll one dice in this fighter's attack rolls um this i don't think this was in the the first version you sent what uh what landed you on this and who do you, who does it usually go on if uh or is it the usual situation it's depending.
2: usually a karu or senna card mm. but it, it can be it can go very well on kenta it mm. just makes Kenta much more accurate, especially given Kenta cleave and a reroll. Um, it's mm. between Watchlight, watch sorry Glimmer and Discipline Charge those are two upgrades that make their way into the deck when I play against more defensive warbands and then make their way out of the deck after I've practiced against easier to hit warbands so they're not they're not critical. I just find that I've got lots of access to damage and attacks, so just having a couple mm. of extra cards just to make those attacks more accurate just you know, yeah works well for the warband.
1: I mean, uh, back when uh, you know in the in the version that I had played that had uh, perfect strike, all these many many re-roll cards in here uh, end up being pretty handy for that because you. Uh, it just makes you helps you lock in the oops all successes sort of roll so um, <laughs> um, we talked a bunch about upgrades for the uh, the Mortex. there is one here that is Canaan uh, exclusive right this is uh, uh hatred, hatred of the living yeah yeah more rerolls and then uh, reaction during an attack action that targets this fighter before the deal damage reduce the damage characters to the attack by one to a minimum of one and then discard this card Pretty rad. Like, rerolls on its own are fine. And then just having an extra, I mean, it's it's a little bit like a, a plus one wound in there. So.
2: Um. Yeah. I mean, why not combine a reroll with kind of weaker, tough and Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Two smashes, you know, you're a 50 50 on most attacks. So, in a lot of cases, Kanan can just be ignored by. More defensive elites like your banshees and whatnot, and you're know, mm-hmm. um, taking the banshees down. It's going to be mostly Kanan's job since the Mortex most likely won't be able to get to them in time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, having a giving them a roll is just yeah, it makes a huge difference as far as trying to get the glory train going early mm-hmm. before they've just scored twenty glory for floating <laughs> the blocked hexes and objectives.
1: Yep. <laughs> uh phil you had unstoppable juggernaut in there yeah um
0: so i had I had unstoppable juggernaut and great fortitude basically for the same reason i'm just having more wounds just to try and against warbands that don't hit more for more than two very often like they'll maybe have one fighter that can hit really hard i can just make somebody take a little bit more work to take down um and then unstoppable juggernaut just has the benefit of also having plus one move which um getting up to move four sometimes feels like a world of difference um just in where you can get on the field Um, and i feel like i often put this on kenta just because plus one move with the extra reach makes an even bigger difference
2: Yes, it's definitely a good card. It's a good choice, and um, I find because I'm running eternal chase and never falter that most of the time it would operate the same as a great fortune. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it definitely has a place in the deck. It's just not one of it's not one of really tested, but I don't think it would make a huge difference to how I play.
1: I could be wrong sure um yeah i think uh i think that about covers it i guess there's there's strength of terror in there as well but uh yeah um, <laughs> it's good take it you <laughs> have <Give> the space <laughs> uh and yeah this is a war band that between kenta and kanan uh there's a reason to take strength of terror um burn the restricted on it over the uh augmented limbs because uh uh, the range two is a big deal. So for sure. Uh, all right. Well, that's, that's all the way through the deck. Let's wrap it up with some, some general thoughts about them. So uh, Tommy, I hear you talking about playing against Banshees, uh, Molog, uh gets a lot. I think those have been the examples that have come up uh, the most frequently. Um, do you, do you feel like uh, what, do you, what do you feel like? I, I, it, my impression is that the the stand back banshees are one of the more difficult matchups. Um, is that generally accurate? And then what what are the beneficial matchups?
2: Yeah, I'd say any matchup that doesn't involve having to run towards your opponent for two rounds before you get to fight is fine. <laughs> so okay. banshees are yeah, they're, they're a horrible matchup for these guys. It can still be done, but in most cases nah you're probably going to lose uh, before the game's even started unless you draw to mm. your movement tech really early you get a
1: sure. or you just you get a, a good kill with Kanan yeah it I feels yeah I was going to say it feels like the kind of game that comes down to like I'm going to I'm going to have one early shot with Kanan that maybe I can trim to 50-50 or or better if everything aligns but and if that lands then we got a game and if it doesn't now we're in huge amount of trouble yeah, it's massively determined by how your
2: uh, deck comes out as well. If you draw your creative sure. war and things like that too early, then nah, you can forget about it. If, on the other hand, <laughs> you draw as an opening hand against Banshees, team effort, walking masquerade, and intimidating display, then yeah, yeah, you might be having a much better game.
1: Sure. Um, Phil, what do you got for thoughts here? Um,.
0: So in my experience, I playing these guys, I quickly came to the realization that, well, Kanan is great and it's awesome that he's in the war band, that the Mortex are the real stars of the show and that you should definitely appreciate them a lot because they can do so much work and some of them are almost just interchangeable. It's like, well, that one went down. We'll just start tooling up this other one instead and they'll just keep coming at you uh so i don't think we've ever really had a warband like that where it doesn't really matter who's doing what they're all pretty good and that they can all come and just chop you to pieces and be accurate and do damage regardless of the fact that they're little two wound fighters
1: Um, yeah i think it's been so every so often you'll see these you'll see uh sort of combat horde war bands but they don't Often, often end up using weapons like the whatever Amber Bone or yeah. uh, whatever the case may be. These guys don't need them. Have you ever had a build where you considered putting weapons in this? It, it just doesn't seem necessary. It seems like they've they've got it already in faction with their
2: natterite. The only weapon I ever considered was silent sword, and that was just for early game catch out damage. But what I oh sure tended to find was i could have got more value out of say glory seeker as an
0: example um right so yeah
2: the weapons they didn't feel as if
0: they were worthwhile running yeah and i feel like there's so much value and then also upgrade benefit in the natterite weapons that if you do take weapon upgrades that you lose out on all of that um so yeah, I I've never really considered weapons. Silent sword is an interesting take. I uh, hadn't even considered that, but yeah, I don't I don't see any of the weapons really outperforming the naderite. So
1: yeah, uh, I think that about covers it. Are you uh, are you running these guys heavy, or are you uh, moving on to something else, Tommy, or is it? Uh...
2: Uh, Top secret. I, I change warbands more than I change Mundoware these days. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I probably played them. I mean in the pandemic, who knows how often that is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played these guys for about like twenty to thirty games.
2: Oh wow. And if, I, I just I was looking forward to them, so yeah, yeah I wrapped nice. a lot of games out with them. And I found that they're incredibly good at annihilating the opponent. But incredibly bad into very certain matchups so mm. i've been trying to kind of think about ways to get around that but it seems to be that that's just the way it's going to be for them it's the game as a whole i find is getting a bit kind of rock paper scissorsy because warbands are getting so strong at what they do that it's really become matchup dependent whether you're going to win or not and these sure. guys are, With, are the example of that the aggro potential they've got is just horrendously good but yeah they can just get wiped out in
1: certain matchups fair enough um so any any path to the top tables they might uh, be relying on uh, dodging a couple matchups on the way yeah for sure i think i think yeah. every warband is at the moment the Wraith Creepers are yeah. ridiculously
2: strong. The Wraith Creepers are overpowered, I would say. But yeah, as I, saw in, the, as I saw in the German <laughs> tournament, if you come up against Molog, sometimes
0: you just get squashed. There's nothing you can do. I think that's that's Molog's MO.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Smash. Sometimes you get the Molog, and sometimes the Molog gets you. Yeah, <laughs> yet, for sure. For sure.
0: So I guess one thing that I was curious about because um, so I couldn't quite figure where I wanted to put these guys, where would you place them in the meta right now? Are they top tier, mid tier, somewhere in between? I mean, they're definitely not low tier. <laughs> um,
2: I'd probably put them at a B. They don't have the versatility to be A or above for me, but they're sure. still very, very good. So... Yeah, I'd say they could win. You could, they could easily win a, a grand clash lot, but it would be match-up dependent. They would need to get a wee bit lucky with who their opponents are.
0: Yeah, and while this is somewhat dependent on what happens with season five, I do think that they will fare well post rotation. So, um, they, I, I think they will hold fairly steady in that place.
1: Hmm. Don't feel like they're not they're not reaching back to Beast Grave quite as much as some other um Yeah. Other I mean, factions.
0: Don't run speed package, which is all gonna basically be dead. Come rotation. Um they have a lot of really strong infection cards. Um yeah, I think I think they will be solid aggro deck regardless of where we are rotation wise. I agree with that. Cool. Yeah. All right. Any other final thoughts before we wrap things up? No, I think I'm good here. Yeah, I'm good. I haven't covered that. All right. Well, so that's been our review of Kanan's Reapers. Hopefully you liked it. Uh, We'll At least we'll put my deck in the show notes. Tommy, are you cool with us linking your deck in the show notes as well? Yeah, of course. All right. So we'll have two decks there for you to pick from. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with us, it's let us know about what you thought about this episode or any other thoughts that you've had listening to us or anything else you've just thought of while you've been messing around with this warband. Um, you can reach us at WTHcast on Twitter or whatthehexcast at gmail.com. Um, if you're interested in more Age of Sigmar content or anything more about like the Ostearch Bone Reapers lore, feel free to check out that content over on our website, themortalrealms.com, for all of our other podcast content uh uh coming up in the future uh we've (laughs) we've got a a pretty big backlog of stuff to get through um really who knows uh any anything between the starter set some universal cards for some stuff uh we've got a new warband that's coming out very soon that we've got a review um (laughs) get some fish reps in yeah yeah i gotta figure (laughs) out how those guys are gonna play but yeah so stay tuned we'll we'll have some stuff coming um i don't know if we mentioned it earlier but thanks to gw for getting us a preview copy so we'd start reviewing these guys checking out the models um i know davy you were just saying before recording that these guys are pretty cool putting them together and uh they were fun models to work with so yeah
1: yeah the uh the faction as a whole never super appealed to me, but then as I was putting them, you like this is, these are pretty sweet. I was, I was enjoying them a lot.
0: Nice. That's always nice when the models can bring you around to a a faction that maybe wasn't your first choice. Yeah. And to wrap things up here, do you have a recommended listening for folks today, Davey?
1: I do. It's a death and taxes. It's a single from uh, golden days. And I wish you could take credit for uh, thinking of that reference, but, uh, that's that's Phil's handiwork there. That one's, mine. So. <laughs> that one's been rattling around in my brain box for
0: ever since we got these guys. I was like, oh, tithe <laughs>
1: counters, and death taxes. Cool.
0: <laughs> for what the heck's I've been Phil. I've been
1: Davey and I'm Tommy. Actually, I think I made that kind of joke last episode. I'm really running out of material here. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Watch a game and he was playing. So, uh, he, he sent me his, it's a Vanguard. I was just asking what I thought, but I was like, which one of you guys named your deck Boners? That's a... That's a that's like, yeah. would, neither. All right. That sounds like Kayla. Yeah. <laughs> Oof.
0: <coughs> excuse me. Do you uh, want me to call for an ambulance? Drinking some water while you <laughs> commented about that deck name and <laughs> kind of caught me off guard there a little bit. <coughs> uh, uh, excuse me. <clears throat>